Welcome and thank you for joining us on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption with Kelly Rourke Scary and me, Ron Rains, where we delve into the issues of adoption from every angle of the adoption triad. Do what's best for your kid and for yourself because if you can't take care of yourself, you're definitely not going to be able to take care of that kid and that's not fair. And I know that my daughter will be well taken care of with them. Don't have an abortion. Give this child a chance. All I could think about was needing to save my son. My name is Kelly Rourke-Scary. I am the executive director, president, and co-founder of Building Arizona Families Adoption Agency, the Donna K. Evans Foundation, and creator of the You Before Me campaign. I have a bachelor's degree in family studies and human development and a master's degree in education with an emphasis in school counseling. I was adopted at the age of three days, born to a teen birth mother, raised in a closed adoption, and reunited with my birth mother in 2007. I have worked in the adoption field for over 15 years. And I'm Ron Raines. I've worked in radio since 1999. I was the co-host of two successful morning shows in Prescott, Arizona. Now I work for my wife, who's an adoption attorney, and I'm able to combine these two great passions and share them on this podcast. Coronaviruses are a group of related viruses that cause diseases in mammals and birds. In human, coronaviruses cause respiratory tract infections that can be mild, such as some cases of the common cold, and others that can be lethal, such as SARS, MERS, and COVID-19. Symptoms in other species vary. In chickens, they cause an upper respiratory tract disease, while in cows and pigs, they cause diarrhea. There are yet to be vaccines or antiviral drugs to prevent or treat human coronavirus infections. OSHA's website states that according to U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Chinese authorities identified the new coronavirus, which has resulted in confirmed human infections in China and a growing number of other countries, including the United States. Infected patients have also spread the virus to healthcare workers. According to the World Health Organization, COVID-19 is now a pandemic, meaning a global outbreak of disease. On March 13, 2020, the President of the United States declared the COVID-19 outbreak a national emergency. The virus that causes COVID-19 seems to be spreading in the community in some affected geographic areas. Community spread means that people have been infected with the virus in an area, including some who are not sure how or where they became infected. The WHO states on their website that coronavirus disease COVID-19 is an infectious disease caused by a newly discovered coronavirus. Most people infected with the COVID-19 virus will experience mild to moderate respiratory illness and recover without requiring special treatment. Older people and those with underlying medical problems like cardiovascular disease, diabetes, chronic respiratory disease, and cancer are more likely to develop serious illness. The best way to prevent and slow down the transmission is to be well informed about the COVID-19 virus, the disease it causes, and how it spreads. Protect yourself and others from infection by washing your hands or using an alcohol-based rub frequently and not touching your face. The COVID-19 virus spreads primarily through droplets of saliva or discharge from the nose when an infected person coughs or sneezes. So it is important that you also practice respiratory etiquette, for example, by coughing into a flexed elbow. At this time, there are no specific vaccines or treatments for COVID-19. However, there are many ongoing clinical trials evaluating potential treatments. The WHO will continue to provide updated information as soon as clinical findings become available. So the main question is, how will COVID-19 impact domestic adoptions? Today on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption, we're going to jump right into these questions. Please understand that we're solely speaking on behalf of Building Arizona Families Adoption Agency and AZ Pregnancy Help located here in Arizona. 
We can't speak for how other agencies are handling adoptions or what their state regulations and guidelines are concerning COVID-19. Another question that, that we've been getting is, are birth mothers, are they still calling? Are they still coming into the program? And the answer is absolutely. How about the uh, other angle of the triad? How about the adopting parents? Or is that still an influx or has that kind of thinned out a little bit in the last month? No, it really hasn't thinned out. Okay. I think when an adoptive family or a husband and a wife decide that they want to be parents, they're not going to let even a pandemic stand in the way. Right. Do you think that might be impacted in the future months? Well, I hope not, okay. uh, because there are women who can't parent these babies and we need to make sure that they have families to go to. So I hope that's not the case. Okay. I don't foresee that being the case, um, but I didn't, I didn't foresee the pandemic Any of turning this. into what it is. Mm -hmm. So that was something. And I think, I think the big picture with adoptive families and, and the concern about the changes and because they're not, they may be coming from out of state, a lot of the families are staying at Airbnbs rather than at hotels, which I think is a great idea because, mm -hmm. again, it's less exposure and you can, you can shelter in place there. They're not able to get a nesting room anymore at the hospital, so they're mm -hmm. not able to have that bonding time with the baby. And that's really hard because that was something that I thought was so special and so beautiful when a birth mother has her baby in the hospital and an adoptive family can be right there and be that support in person and they can wrap their arms around her and hug her and let her know how much they love her and how appreciative they are for helping them build this amazing family. And that that's not able to happen right now. So it'll and be so, very nice when that comes back. I think that is what I'm going to look forward to the most I bet, is yeah. the adoptive families being able to have that connection. I also think it's really important for birth mothers to be able to see their baby with the adoptive family in the hospital. I think that that creates a beautiful vision for the future for them. It becomes a memory that they can look back on and think, wow, okay, my baby was just fine in her arms and my baby's going to be loved and well taken care of. And I don't, I don't have to worry anymore. And I don't have to second guess myself. And now we've, we've had to, to, change that because the hospitals just aren't allowing it. And I, and I completely understand why mm -hmm. I completely, again, they're trying to minimize exposure. And I think that those healthcare workers are just absolute godsends. They've what been amazing doing. for the entire country on all ends. So yeah, absolutely. Hats off to all of them. Yes. And so again, we are obviously in 100% compliance with whatever, whatever they want us to do. Some hospitals have a little bit more of a lenient policy, whereas other ones are taking more of a stricter approach. And so we are just going with whatever they're asking us to do. Um, but again, this is, this is short term. This isn't going to be forever. And, you know, it's, it's working, it's working just fine. We've been placing a lot of babies uh, this past quarter. And I think we may even have hit record numbers. Really? That's fantastic. So and it is fantastic because these, these babies are going into beautiful, loving, adoptive homes. And anytime an adoption is successful, everybody wins. Right. All three ends. And I love that. Um, I, I hope that this coronavirus does not 
you know, negatively impact society and uh, long-term economically. I hope that that doesn't become a barrier for adoptive families. Mm -hmm. I hope that we can continue to, you know, come together and, and make this okay again, because again, you know, even as I'm, I'm talking to you, I still can't believe where we are. Our entire world world has changed. And I don't know, I know some of that will come back, but I know some of it won't. I've heard people say, okay, maybe this is the end of shaking hands. And that makes sense. But it's kind of like, I love shaking hands. I think it's a respectful thing. So it's going to be a strange new world. I still do it on the few occasions that I've talked to people, you know, that weren't family or whatever. And I instinctively stick my hand out and then I pull it right back. It's like, oh, geez, that and that may never come back. Really? That's what I've heard. So who knows? You know, I have to say the first time I think I saw that up close uh, was when my adoptive father, my father, when he mm -hmm. came over to the house and he was leaving, uh, this was at the very beginning of this. And my husband went to go and hug him. And my dad put up both hands and said, not right now. And I remember thinking, this is where we are. And, and he was so smart in doing that. I mean, he's in his mid seventies and he's in um, that range. That's uh, yeah. the people that are most impacted by this, certainly. And so I, I remember thinking, Oh my gosh, I hope, I hope this goes away and fast, but you're right. I mean, it, it could definitely change things. Now I, I don't like shaking hands to be honest. There's um, disclosure. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm okay. If that doesn't come back. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I, I, depending on the circumstance, I, I feel it is a thing of respect. So that's a personal thing on my end. It yeah. is a respectful thing. I think much more so between men than mm -hmm. with women. I think that's probably true. And then I think a lot more women are huggers and that might right. not come back, at least maybe in families, but not so much with acquaintances and friends. Wow. I hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that either. And I, yeah, I don't know. I know the latest recommendation is that if I read this correctly, that uh, everyone is supposed to cover their mouths and noses now, even if they're not sick. Is that, mm -hmm. is that what you've read as well? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you're going out in public to have some kind of face covering is better than having none. And it will help to keep you from spreading it to somebody else. If you unknowingly have it or, you know, from a little bit getting it, they, it's obviously not foolproof, but they're recommending it. And I know at the beginning they were kind of like, nah, it's no big deal. No masks. You don't need that. And now they're kind of going back on that saying, well, maybe so. Right. And I, I think just like I had stated with, with us as an agency, everyone is trying to do the best they can. They're mm -hmm. trying to keep everybody as safe as possible. And I know that we have had, uh, we had a situation recently where one of uh, the newborns was in the NICU and the baby was, was sick. And when the baby was uh, discharged from the hospital, the hospital said, absolutely no contact other than wow. with the adoptive mother and father. At that point, the the birth mother hadn't gotten to see the baby oh. um, since she was discharged from the hospital. Mm -hmm. And that was really heartbreaking. But the the rainbow at the end of the story is, is that I talked with the adoptive family and they're actually going to come back to Arizona after the pandemic is over and, and spend time do a with her. Visit. Oh, yeah. that's nice. 
because there, there is, again, one of my jobs is to make sure that everybody is as safe as possible. And that, that's hard. That means that I have to make some really hard decisions. And, you know, when, when you look at it and you think, you know, is it, can you allow it this one time or can we just make an exception? No, because it, it could be that one time that permanently alters somebody's life. Right. What I have asked adoptive families and we're asking our birth moms is, is we're doing everything we can to keep everybody as safe as possible. We may not like the decisions that are being made. We may not like the circumstances that we're in. We may not like the decisions that are being made outside of our scope. But at the same time, everybody is is making these and implementing these changes for the sake of safety, to keep this as quarantined as possible. So I, I'm looking at everything and I'm thinking, I hope that uh, this is going to not drag on for a long time. And I'm hoping that uh, people start recovering and everybody can put this behind them. And I don't know. Our international program with Haiti, obviously the pandemic is going to um, halt some travel. So that is unfortunately being affected. Uh, Our other program, which is called our Interstate Forever Families, where we help Arizona families adopt out of the other states' foster care systems. Um, I don't have um, any data on how that's going to be impacted as well. But on a bright side, uh, have you seen the news about how the pandemic is affecting abortions? Actually, I was going to ask you about that because I know there's been debate and many state governments have said any non-essential surgeries are being halted, but uh, there's debate on whether abortion is essential or non-essential. So what have you heard beyond that? There have been uh, states that are uh, restricting abortion and Yay. they have, uh, yeah. <laughs> sorry. All right. Mississippi, Texas, and Ohio uh, moved on the 25th to limit abortion as part of the coronavirus response. That is great news, in my opinion. Well, they did, yes. And then I know that there were some judges that came back and stated that they basically there was a lot of banter back and forth as to whether or not they could do that. So I think that it's still underway as to whether or not that's going to be solidified or not. Uh, I'm hoping that more states will join that theology. I'm excited that, you know, babies are going to be saved because as we horrifically lose people to this virus, Mm -hmm. maybe we're saving lives of others. Uh, On the younger ones, certainly. And so I I am, again, maybe that's a silver lining. Um, Some lemonade. Yeah, some lemonade. So Mm -hmm. federal judges in Alabama, Ohio, and Texas have blocked orders banning non-essential medical procedures from limiting abortion access during the coronavirus outbreaks. A win for abortion rights activists as a fight over abortion rights intersects with worsening pandemic. Days after, Texas Attorney General Paxton ordered a ban on nearly all abortions in the state during the coronavirus pandemic, Planned Parenthood filed an emergency lawsuit in federal court attempting to overturn the order. The lawsuit was filed on behalf of eight reproductive health clinics in Texas, claims that Paxton's order is unconstitutional and in violation of Roe v. Wade, 
and demands an immediate temporary restraining order to keep the doors of Texas abortion clinics open. So both sides are fighting this tooth and nail right now. They are. Texas is currently the only state to explicitly attempt to ban the procedure during the coronavirus pandemic. Last week, Ohio Deputy Attorney General Jonathan Wilkerson sent letters to several abortion clinics in the state, accusing them of being in violation of the order. But the clinic's lawyers quickly responded, assuring Wilkerson's office that they were in compliance with the order and were taking all necessary precautions. Abortion clinics in Ohio remain open. Appointments have not been canceled. And so far, the clinics are not being penalized. So there's a lot of, I guess, a lot of banter going back and forth and and defining what's essential and medically necessary and what's not essential and how things are being classified. Again, I wonder what, if any, long-term effect will come of this because it sounds like we weren't, as a nation, medically ready to deal with a pandemic of this size. Mm-hmm. I think we, we've been so busy focusing on abortions and, and lots of these, these smaller pieces rather than looking globally at the big picture. So maybe now people can see that you know, when, when we are pouring ourselves into trying to give somebody the right to choose, we should have been pouring ourselves into looking towards the future and making sure we as a nation had enough hospital beds and ventilators and masks and things like that. I don't know. What, what have you heard in terms of uh, the future? What, what, what estimates have you read about? I've heard so many different things. And honestly, I don't even think the experts know because they're not getting as much information as they need to make their diagnoses. So, I mean, I don't think that we obviously can't stay quarantined indefinitely. There's got to be some light at the end of the tunnel or people are just going to go nuts and say, I can't take it anymore. I'm getting out. And so I think the government and the scientists and the epidemiologists and everybody else really needs to focus on getting an answer to the public and saying, okay, this is what we're shooting for. This is why. And this is why you need to stay inside for this amount of time. But I don't think anybody has any really concrete answers at this point. And I I know they're trying, but I think as the public is going to start getting restless, you know, I mean, you can only Netflix and chill chill for so long before just saying, I got to get out. I need to do something right. So I don't know. I'm hoping that uh, we get answers on when a vaccine might become available. They're saying not for 12 to 18 months on that part of it. Will the summer come and the rise in temperature start to kind of quell this a little bit, at least bring it down? Is there going to be a second wave? There's so many questions that Nobody seems to every estimate I've seen or every uh, what do you call them? Every graph and yeah, prediction kind of stops at August. And it's like, well, what happens beyond August? I haven't seen anything on that. And I just don't think they know, unfortunately, but I think they need to really hunker down and find answers to help all of us. Right. Well, for today. What we're telling adoptive families is, you know, please don't fly in an airplane mm-hmm. if at all possible. Um, please try to drive if you can. We're actually not allowing newborns to go on airplanes without permission of, from a pediatrician mm-hmm. because, again, that's just too much exposure. 
So a lot of our families are, are driving in and then they'll be driving home, which is not ideal. I get it with a newborn, but it's safer. Uh, we are Skyping and Zooming with adoptive families, whereas we used to do a lot more face-to-face uh, contact when they would come into the state and meet with us. And we used to do hospital tours and sit with them in the waiting room if the birth mother didn't want them in the delivery room. And again, we're not able to do any of that because they're not even allowed to be at the hospital. And so it's changed in so many aspects. It's changed for the birth moms and it's changed for the adoptive families and it's changed for us, but we can get through this together. We've just got to keep the faith and have hope and promise and, and know that it'll be okay in the end. And I think if we all keep a really positive um, outlook I think hopefully good things will follow. Just a reminder, you can send or drop off donations, whether it's financial or non-perishable food items, to our food pantry to help our birth mothers who are struggling, especially during this time, at 8433 North Black Canyon Highway, Suite 152 in Phoenix, Arizona, 85021. Visit Building Arizona Family's website at azpregnancyhelp.com. We also have a new website for this podcast at birthmothermatterspodcast.com. Make sure you rate and review us wherever you're listening to this podcast. We really appreciate it. And join us next time on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption. For Kelly Rourke Scary, I am Ron Rains, and we will see you then.